What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. This is just a reminder that you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain every Wednesday evening at around 8 o'clock, and you can listen to us live, and you can actually also donate to us if you'd like. It does help support the channel, keep things running. So, I uh, still got fucking echo. <sighs> Okay. Come on. Fuck you. Um, I really have a twitch on here. So you can't hear an echo right now. Say something else. I can hear my hey. echoing vaguely now as I'm talking. Okay. Hang on. And a little bit from you. Can you hear the echoing now? No. Okay. So that was coming through first. So if I turn off and... Can you hear me now? Yes, there's a very faint echo. Now my phone seems Wow, this service is really good. It's now frozen on my phone. And, oh, there we go. It's kind of catching up. I'm not getting an echo this moment in time. I've got a delay on mine. Oh, my God. Fuck you, restream. It normally behaves itself. Yeah, and I, I've changed nothing. I don't know what the fuck is going on. So fucking stupid. All right. Well, um, okay. I'll just. It's phone is now dead. It's not. Shit, 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 Well, it appears we are live. We're live, yes. That was unexpected. Yeah. And unannounced. Sorry. <laughs> well, I needed to go live to see if anything was how the audio is going to be. Ladies I kind of let that scene in Wayne's World be it's just like close up on Garth. It's like, it's picking your nose. <laughs> I don't have anything to say around. What's that over there? 
<laughs> well, um, Did you, is this a test or are we going to go? Fuck it. <laughs> Who cares? Let's just go live. Um, right, hang on. We talk shit through the disaster. That is restrain. Thanks. Restrain. This episode is not sponsored by Restream. Okay. So apparently we are two people watching, one person watching. I hope that's you, George, and uh, not somebody <laughs> who's actually tuned in for some form of entertainment. Welcome to the Typing Show, where we, uh, <laughs> we mutter while we type. It's a, it's a new concept of a podcast, like webcast we're working on here, and I think it will revolutionize the industry yes absolutely um so to give everyone as you're listening in podcast form you're probably hearing an echo on my voice which i do apologize for if not cool because i don't hear it mind, so we've had some technical difficulties yeah we have because uh um yeah, so for whatever reason, Restream decided, ah, oh, fuck that shit. I'm not getting... Stop it. Yeah, so it was not streaming my video feed that you might have seen last week. And after hours of talking to people that are so-called helpful, I was able to get nothing done. So I'm doing this through my phone. Yay, good times. We're professional. Isn't but, technology wonderful? Ladies and gentlemen, we are here. We have survived weathers of the god. We have survived a pandemic. And now we are surviving technology. We are armchair producers. Five out of seven Russian bots approve. Look at that. We have merch, people. Uh, there we go. <laughs> you, you too can look this stylish in yellow. Oh, yes. It is available in Sexy Black 2. This will be making its way to Travis. Because I only wear black, you might have picked that, people who watch this show on a regular basis. There we go. But the color of the font and the t-shirt is fully customizable. And the quality of the t-shirt is not bad. I'm not going to stroke anywhere else except the center of my chest because I don't want it to become central. <laughs> You don't want to get people too excited. That would be uh, this early in the podcast. You've got to string it out a little bit. Or do I? No, I don't. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is Armchair Producers, episode 99. I'm one of your hosts, George Terran, alongside the man, the myth, the patient one, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you? I am fine and dandy. Um I had to go back into the office for the first time last week. I, yeah. Well, I know regular listeners will be shocked to hear that we don't do this for a living and no one pays us. <laughs> I'll just give you a second to let that sink in. Yeah. Um, but I, <laughs> we do have day jobs. And I had to go back into the office on Thursday last week for the first time since 
June, I think, last year. Um, I wasn't a happy camper. Oh, poor you having to pay $8 for coffee. And what's your $15 commute for a ham sandwich? What's your commute time? It's actually probably not. It's actually it's the first time I've commuted since I moved in here. Um, <laughs> it would be in about 20, 25 minutes, I guess. Um, it's just, I guess, I've been lucky because I, I could work from home for the last better part of the year now. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you actually take, you stop doing it, you realize what a waste it is, like all the things that you have to do when you have to go to a physical location, like putting on pants, um, making sure you don't stink, um, you know, eating <laughs> at an agreed time, walking to transport, catching said transport. Uh, it's there's a lot of it was a lot of waste of time. It's not a very efficient way of doing things, um, and I didn't enjoy it. I kind of I've been spoiled. I'll pay it. I've been spoiled rotten over the last year in the sense I could do things my way. But there is a certain there's a certain romance to realizing I have to be at work at eight thirty, rolling out of bed at eight twenty seven, and then logging on to your computer in your underpants. It's, <laughs> it's an unadulterated luxury I've had, and I, I I'm kind of hoping I get to keep it some of the time anyway. Well, fingers crossed for you, because I know it's such a terrible. It's terrible a life's hard. It's mm-hmm. you know, I, lunch was expensive. You know, I had to walk for more than two hundred meters. It was just, it was, mm-hmm. it was ugly. I had to stand near other people. Um, mm-hmm. But do you have to wear um, you again? You'll be shocked to hear this, dear listeners. Uh, my co-host uh, has to work a day job as well. But um, do you have to wear a mask all day now? Still, of course. And the longer the pandemic goes on, the more I realize that everyday people are assholes because, oh, they have to wear a mask. And the amount of shit that gets thrown at me just for asking people, if you have a mask, can you please wear it in store or sign our track and trace register? And they're sort of like, oh, you can't do that. That's against rights, um, law, blah, 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 blah. It's not a law. It's like, it's government guidelines. We wouldn't if we didn't have to. And yeah, so the longer it goes on, the more people are becoming, um, well, masters and geniuses of um, social politics and law, apparently. Yeah, it's great. It's um. It's it's surprising to me, I, I guess, because like uh, I, have, you have to wear a, this is a, this is your regular pandemic update, people, about the <laughs> unspecified virus of unknown origin. Um, you know, I, I um have to wear a mask for the uh, you know intolerably long twenty twenty five minute trip into the city, um, and it's not fun. But my my usual response is I'm very glad to get out of the station and get it off. But at the same time, my regular thought is with people like my co-host and others. You have to wear the fucking thing all day. Uh, um, sometimes I've had the pleasure of having four COVID tests over the last year, uh, two since Christmas. And um, those people stand outside in the Australian summer wearing PPE and masks. Mm-hmm. Right? At least he gets air conditioning. Yeah. So I'm not going to complain about wearing a mask. It's annoying, yes, but it's better than the alternative. We will be locked up in another lockdown, and I don't want to lose my job. 
And I really, really, really want to take my holiday next week. So, like, if yes. the fucking virus could just keep it in its pants for a, a couple more weeks, um, and then it That'd can do whatever the fuck it wants. It'd be really nice if we can actually start enjoying holidays rather than going, oh, well, I booked this up and fuck me, apparently. <laughs> well, I have to apply for three different permits to go to the Northern Territory. <laughs> like being in Soviet Russia. Yeah, but that's also something that you have to do outside of pandemic tier at times anyway, because it is the Northern Territory. Like, I, I, I don't think you normally do need to get a permit to go there, but maybe you should. If you want to stay there, maybe you need a psychological assessment or something like that, considering the weather up there and the flies. Mm. Um, there, apart from the, um, the uh, unspecified virus of unknown origin, mm. we are a movie podcast. We no. are. It, it's not normally a current affairs show. Um, uh, believe it or not, I know the professional setting is is off is potentially confusing people. You go, how did I stumble across the BBC? Oh, shit, it's actually a, a, a live webcast from two guys in their houses. I have no idea. Um, but, you know, shock as you are, this is actually a movie podcast where we talk about movies, television, games, music, bread uh, in modern time. society, the usual. Mm. So, as always, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to kick off the show with our chain movie. Our last week, we had the um, original in idea, but not in execution movie of the 13th floor, um, which had co-starred i guess he was on screen enough time to be a co-star and not just special guest vincent d'onofrio um doing he was on it a fair bit he was a co-star yeah. definitely um yeah. and he's certainly more of a co-star in that than he is in this that's very true he doesn't even have his own voice in the movie that we followed him to which is tim burton's ed wood um he plays this is Vincent D'Onofrio. He plays a, a fictionalized cameo appearance of Orson Welles. And it's not even his voice. It's Maurice LaMarche, who people will probably know best from his work with Futurama, where he played the voice of Kif. And pretty much any other animal in an animated show. He's a legendary voice actor. He does a very good Orson Welles. It is true. It is very true. Um, but yeah, Ed Wood. Travis, tell us about Ed Wood because I've got this fucking echo in my ear and I hate it. <laughs> so uh, we're weird. going to uh, continue our um, unusual uh, habit of telling you what the film's about as a start. I, it's crazy, but, you know, people seem to enjoy it. Um Ed Wood is the 1994 Tim Burton-directed movie about making movies. Uh, the synopsis says, ambitious but troubled movie director Edward D. Wood Jr. tries his best to fulfill his dreams despite his lack of talent. Um, this film stars uh, Johnny Depp at the absolute height of his powers uh, as Ed Wood. We have an Academy Award-winning performance by Martin Landau as Bella Lugosi. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker, before her film career died, playing Dolores Fuller, 
uh, Patricia Arquette, Jeffrey Jones, the we, we aforementioned Vincent D'Onofrio, somehow gets billing above Bill Murray. Um, and uh, George V. Animal Steel is the other probably notable one here. Lisa Marie plays Vampira. I feel like I should know her, but when you look her up, she really hasn't done anything outside of Tim Burton films, so I'm not going to go too deep with her. Um, for those who are unfamiliar with the work of Edward, Edward in the late 70s, I believe, was voted as the worst director of all time. Uh, and somehow that sort of re that invigorated his legend because he had passed by the time um, that 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 honor honor uh, was decreed upon him. But that really kind of kicked his career in the ass, which is sort of like you know painters whose paintings aren't worth anything until they're dead. Um, so I mean, he's sort of become a real cult hero, I think, even probably before the Burton film, but especially after the Burton film. Um, and you can find these films all over the shop on YouTube and on DVD and stuff. And they genuinely are awful films. Um, but uh, I guess the way he's played is a man with zero talent but unlimitless enthusiasm and passion uh -huh. for, for what he does. So in a way, this is a very inspiring film. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. It's there, – there's an – eternal optimism to ed wood um he just wants to make a movie entertain and move on and his first movie that we see him putting together of glenn or glenda he he really feels passionate about that story and he um, connects it to himself and he's um one of the things that was um played up was his transvesticism and it was he wrote this script as a way of kind of coming out to the rest of the world and even though it fails there's you can't help but like ed wood he's just persistently nice he's like one of those like I, there was uh, some trivia i saw that um johnny depp kind of molded him on like a telly salesman because he's very friendly very energetic and very approachable and you can't help but kind of like him yeah the trivia on, um, definitely comes the across trivia. and for the kind of shit that he ended up doing to to get funding and stuff you can see why people were willing to give him a little little something if he was this um affable it just to follow on from what you were saying about his characterization um mm -hmm. The trivia on IMDb says he based his characterization on a mixture of the blind optimism of Ronald Reagan, the enthusiasm of a tin man from Wizard of the Oz, and Casey Kasem, um, who I suspect you are maybe too young to remember who Casey Kasem was. Yes. Um, Casey Kasem hosted the American Top 40, like, radio program. Do you remember in Ghostbusters where... Yes. Yeah, he's like... And they stayed on the party down with the guys after the show, you know. Um, that's Casey Kasem. I can see, I can see that now. Yeah, okay. and that's a really obscure reference to, to, to try and link back to to somebody who's he's not old enough. The only reason I remember is because for some reason, and I'm going to have to ask my dad about this now that I've remembered it. Is my dad used to have on vinyl an actual copy of an American Top Forty show from. 1983 or something 
Okay. Uh, I again, I do not ask me why. Don't at me. I don't know why he had it, but he did. Uh, and I had all the, the bits with Casey. I wish he still. Fuck, I really hope he still has it. I bet he doesn't. Um, but he had all the bits of Casey Casey, and that's why I know who he is. Um, not real well known in Australia. But Johnny Depp is incredible in this film. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy now, considering the controversy that Johnny's been through in, in, um, in recent years, particularly with his, um, I'm thinking of the stuff he went through with Amber Heard and the, the court case last year that he lost. Um, I think he got booted off the Harry Potter franchise, maybe. Yeah, he, um, JK Rowland, who's gone through her own shit, um, she supported him for quite a while, and then as shit got more disastrous between the two of them in court, he was told to leave. Yep, as as. Is the way I guess rightly, rightly or wrongly, and you know I'm not getting into that argument yeah. the second time this evening. Um, but if it's easy to forget with all that's happened to him over the last you know five ten years, uh, that he was once upon a time I think potentially the greatest actor of his generation. Yeah, uh, and I think there's an argument to be made for it. He was. Oh, I remember there being a point in time where he was on a run. Of, of performances where you're like, this guy just can't do any wrong. Yeah. Um, and eventually all things, good things come to an end, and this did. But, um, yeah, it, you know, he was, I think, again, as I said at the start, at the peak of his powers in the mid-90s in a sense that not only was he making great film, but he was taking chances. Yeah. He was doing stuff that was outside of a realm that, you know, he was probably a, a leading man. I mean, if you look at this as 94, um, you know, this is after Benny and June, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which are his indie films, oh. but now four years after Edward Scissorhands um, and a couple of years before things like Donnie Brasco and uh, oh. uh, The Ninth Gate, Astronaut's Wife, Five Years from Sleeping Hollow. Some of those aren't good films, but he was a leading man yeah. um, in these films, maybe a slightly slightly edgier leading man than someone like Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise. Uh. But in amongst all that, he was doing shit. Like he, the year after he did a film called Dead Man, which I've never seen, but I recall it was, it was banned in Australia um, initially. So I think that's, um, uh, yeah, Jim Jarmusch. I think you're right. It was a very controversial film uh, from, from memory. I, um, you've got stuff in there like Don Juan DeMarco, very little left wing sort of thing. For him, um, through to stuff like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which, mm-hmm. you know, Terry Gilliam, so of course it flopped. But um, it's <laughs> but brilliant it's nonetheless. If you haven't seen that film, do. Um, yeah. I love it. Uh, anyway, but so Johnny Johnny was this incredible run in the 90s. I think he's an incredible actor at, yeah. at the time. And this might be his magnum opus. Along the same lines, Tim Burton was on a hell of a run at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Batman, the um, with Scissorhands, into Batman Returns, um, into this. Yeah. Uh, probably forgetting something in the meanwhile. But he was on an incredible hot streak. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, I would still stick to the point, but my opinion, that this is the best film Tim Burton ever made. I think it's certainly, because I really like Big Fish as well. There's, I think he, uh, he's he got kind of only really two out of the movies that I've seen of Tim Burton, two movies that are kind of grown up Tim Burton movies. Uh, is this 
and big fish they have got that that quirkiness and that unusual manner to them that is quintessential tim burton but they are actually trying to do things a little bit more grown up than your typical tim burton fair especially his more recent stuff which is very very family friendly you think of dumbo you think of alice in wonderland um but i would i would generally agree with you i don't think aside from maybe albert finney's performance in big fish i don't think there's been a tim burton movie that's gotten the critical acclaim that this had particularly for martin landau's performance and um i think it was either nominated or got the award for best makeup for martin landau's bella lugosi uh to rick baker uh you are correct mm. best makeup for the um the team is two others but let's face it rick baker's the uh the famous He's one a legend yeah but I, I agree with you for for Johnny Depp here because he was one of those guys. You, you mentioned Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. And through that period, between those three, you kind of had the three options of leading man type. You had Tom Cruise, who was getting into his real action phase he was just starting to get into doing like the mission impossible stuff and doing more and more of his own stunts you had tom hanks who was doing very much um he was in his transitional phase going from the the rom-com stuff to more of his serious fare and well, he won, but he won but in the next couple of years he won he won for philadelphia yeah and then he won for forrest gump and then he went into things like um apollo 13 so yeah he was he was box office gold yeah and then you had johnny depp who everyone seemed to kind of appreciate what he was doing but he was largely considered box office poison but people always said oh at least johnny he does something different and i think that's come around to bite him in the ass now because he's kind of got two or three characters that he plays to death no matter what movie he's in um i feel like a lot of guys get they get lazy as they get older in the sense that i think tom cruise has got lazy uh he plays tom cruise and he doesn't take chances anymore like he did 20 years ago if someone's having a script for magnolia today i don't think he'd do it um you know it would be a little bit more controversial probably today than it was 20 years ago um but i feel like you know if someone's going to give you 15 million dollars to play jack sparrow again when you've got the kind of financial issues that i think it's been reported that Johnny Depp has. Yeah. Um, I think you take the money and play, you know, play uh, Jack Sparrow again, and you just sort of end up playing to your your strengths um, and doing those sort of roles that you're comfortable with. And I mean, I guess we're all guilty of that to some degree as we get older. I mean, there are very few actors of that sort of um, yeah that kind of fame and and you know uh and, and renown who end up doing really risky, interesting stuff well into their how old are you in fifties? Johnny Depp. Yeah, I think so. Um, um, but anyway, I I mean it's a controversy. He is yeah, nineteen sixty three, so he would be fifty uh, fifty eight. Jesus, he looks good for fifty eight, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know who doesn't? Speaking of people of age, Bill Murray. I'm pretty sure he's a replicant. Oh fuck! Um, you, dog. You just doesn't age. Um, 
as my co-host talks to the dog, who disagrees with my synopsis on Bill Murray's uh, skincare routine. Um, but um, anyway, so that's, that's just my thoughts, is that like I think people forget. Maybe you'll see, if you haven't seen it before, you'll be like, oh, Johnny Depp, not right. sure, controversial dude all these years uh, after all the stuff he's been through. Mm. It's. I would strongly recommend you check it out um, on the point that he he was something special in his day. Yeah. And the thing with this movie as well, especially in the new society that we live in where it's much, much more aware of LGBTQI and things like that, this dips its toe into kind of playing in those those ponds a little bit but it is never detrimental it's never um insulting or at least i don't think it is but it's very it's very affectionate towards it i mean i think it it's it's uh it's quite a magic trick that tim burton's pulled off here in the sense that he is quite openly admitting this guy's fucking terrible at what he does Mm. but at the same time it's very much it's very friendly towards him. It's never, it's never in a mocking way. It's never going, mm. look at this guy. He's not playing up the fact that he's shit outs for laughs. Yeah. It's, it's actually, he's the hero. Yeah. He just happens to be terrible at what he does. <laughs> That's one of the things that apparently Tim Burton wanted to do was not go the, the mocking route for the documentary because he said, um, Edward was lambasted in a joke for so much of his life. It's time to actually bring out some of those other elements. And I, I think he does a good job with that. I think he does a brilliant job. I um, I feel like, I mean, uh, it, in a way, it kind of reflects what we do here, right? I mean, I know you're at home sitting there thinking, wow, such high standards of uh, your production mm-hmm. and you know, professionalism uh, that George has to use his phone and um you know that kind of the thing the lighting for travis tonight the lighting for me i mean i look better in a dark but space <laughs> um light is not my friend um, I, I, I kind of want you to keep that but somehow do a vis- video effect so there's two other heads so you're doing a little bit of um, bohemian rhapsody <laughs> I, i've only if only restream actually supported those phony backgrounds that zoom does mm-hmm. i have that one yeah. Um, but it, in a way, like it's an encouragement to all artists in a way. I mean, mm. yes, I am referring to us as artists, particularly my co-host who has written books. Um, so that, that's, that's an achievement that I'm yet to, um, get to, but, um, it, it's, if you're full of enthusiasm, I think it may be Tim Burton saying there is, there's merit in just doing stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is why we started this show. We started this show based on the inspiration of Kevin Smith, right? Yeah. Who really should get back to it, just doing stuff rather than being a simp for Disney. Um, it was like just like just start doing things. Yeah. If you feel that creative energy to do anything, why not do it? It's even creepier than Airplane and more stranger than Wonder Woman 1984. Hmm. Uh, are you talking about Ed Wood? I hope so. I mean, it's is it creepy? I guess so. Um, it's trying to be. <laughs> I don't know if I would call airplane creepy. But... No, not my standard. You know, surely you can't be serious. <laughs> I am serious. I'm still calling you surely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Stuart, I speak jive. Um, <laughs> but it, 
uh, don't get me started on that film. I love it. Um, it's so good. Yeah, uh, but it, this is a this is a film that's really in love with a process of filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is Ed saying, uh, I don't know. Sorry, not Ed. Um, Tim Burton sort of going, how did I get here? Right? Like, I mean, uh, I know people who've ended up in some interesting places, uh, and had I don't know if you've ever felt it, audience members or, or my co-host here, but um, imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, why am I here? I'm sure I'm not the right person to be here. I'm the wrong person to be here. Someone's going to figure out I'm shit and they're going to call me on it. And, you know, then all of a sudden everyone will know that I'm the imposter and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, it's, um, I, I mean, I wonder if that was something that maybe went through Tim Burton's head to sort of go, how did I get here? Like, you know, um, and sort of to actually pay homage to somebody who didn't get to the same heights, but never let that stop him. Mm. I kind of feel like there's no other director who would really do a a kind of positive biography movie about Edward. I think only Tim Burton and only at that point in his career did it make sense because he was always considered the weird one and his movies for so long they were financially successful like Batman or just bizarre passion projects were cult successes. And that kind of, it kind of set him apart from everyone else because everyone was going, all right, yeah, we're going to bring in lots of CGI, special effects. We're going to start doing modern cinema. Whereas Tim Burton has unabashedly shown this, stalwartness to the 70s and 80s and b-movie style of cinema I mean, obviously it's the kind of stuff he grew up watching probably yeah you know um you can and, and in, in a sort of a way that i always get seth mcfarlane stuff because i mm. feel like steph and i grew up watching the same shit we've talked mm. about this in the past for those who are long-term listeners i this is the kind of thing that you know i feel like i would love to see in a in a collaboration between rob zombie and and tim burton because i feel like they're on the same page except yeah. that tim's a significantly more talented film director than rob yeah. um and rob's a great musician um and I, and I think tim tries to play in that space um but i get the same vibe from them in the sense they grew up watching these schlock horror films from the 50s and 60s and they really love the the aesthetic and feel of it um mm. and, and it really comes through in this film and potentially also if you move forward in his filmography, the next film, but uh, I assume it's the next film that Tim Burton made, which was um, uh, Mars Attacks, which was a, an homage to, you know, 50 sci-fi. Yeah. Um, but actually I was, I was, I had a friend come around on a weekend and we, we sat through two films. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I do mean sat through as the, as a way of describing it. Mm. Um, and the first one was called Re the revenge of T the teenage vixens from outer space. Oh. And I feel this is a film that Dead Wood were very much have approved of. Um, <laughs> probably. Except it was probably a little bit too intelligent for, oh, for, no. for, for Ed. Um, in the sense that I, maybe that's the real charming part about about, about Ed's, um, Ed, um, his, his, his process was he was garbage. Mm. I don't know if he ever realized he was terrible. Um, but the guys who made uh, The Revenge of a Teenage Vixens from Outer Space, 
they knew they were terrible, and, and it's a very tongue-in-cheek kind of low-budget production from the 80s. But um, moving on from from Revenge of a Teenage Fiction from Outer Space, which I won't waste <laughs> our we? I won't waste our audience's time by by spending too long on reviewing it. Other than saying the Vixens are teenage seductresses who come from Outer Space, for uh, and it, you know you could almost see the, the Futurama references here. The uh, for Snoo Snoo. Um, <laughs> And um, when uh, the uh, the males of Planet Earth will not fulfill their obligations to the said teenage vixens, they turn into giant vegetables. And just to confirm for everybody at home who's listening, um, uh, it's um it's available on YouTube, which is where I watched it. I didn't put it there; it's not illegal. Um, so, anyways. <laughs> It, it's it's a quality production. I think Ed would have after Ed's own heart. But yeah. uh, I talked about what, uh, watching Plan Nine from Outer Space because um, hmm. uh, my my friend hadn't seen it, and um, so it, rather than actually watching Plan Nine from Outer Space, we just watched Ed Wood because it basically includes the best parts of Plan Nine anyway. Is <laughs> particularly the scene and cut. That's great. Why, don't you want to do another one? You didn't get through the door. He has to challenge, go through that challenge every day. <laughs> that, that was not that was um that was Bride of the uh, Monster, I think. But oh, the uh, was when he um when uh, George Animal Steelers Tor Johnson knocks over one of the styrofoam um gravestones. Just like, yeah, yeah it's fine. No one's gonna notice that. I mean, I always recall. I do you remember back in the eighties and nineties? If you wanted to, before IMDb was a thing, it used to be uh, a thing called Leonard Moulton's Movie Guide. It was about that thick. Yeah. Uh, and you had like tiny one sentence reviews of films and star ratings. That's right. Uh, it was almost like an encyclopedia for films. And they actually had um, Plan Nine from Outer Space in there. I always remember that. What a um, So we talked a little bit. To take a step back, Bella Lugosi was a friend of of, of a real life friend of Ed Woods. Bella Lugosi, for those who are not film historians, mm. uh, was a very famous horror film star. Mm from the 30s and 40s, particularly for his performance as Dracula. Mm -hmm. By the time Wood was making films, he was a washed-up junkie, mm -hmm. as is sort of portrayed um, in the film. Um, now, when it came to Plan 9 from Outer Space, which I think is fair to say is Edward's magnum opus, mm -hmm. um, it, he actually had shot, so again, as in the film, Ed Wood, he had shot some footage of uh, uh, Bella Lugosi just fucking around outside his house several months ahead of time, mm. not really sure what he would use it for, which is a very Ed Wood thing to do. Yeah. Um, and then, unfortunately, um, Bella died. Mm. So um, subsequent to his death, in order to sort of make it sound like he had a big star in his movie, um, Ed used the footage he'd shot of Bella fucking around outside his house to be in Plan 9 from Outer Space, which probably hadn't been written at that point in time. Mm. And I always go back to the Leonard Moulton guy remembers it points out at this point in time. Uh, Bella Lugosi died six months before the film started production. The rest of his part, the rest for the rest of the film, his part is played by a younger, taller man holding a cape over his face. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it, it, that's genius. I love that. And it oh fuck, it reminded me of something just as you were talking about it. But it's completely gone out of my head, so it probably wasn't. Actually I, I covered a lot of ground there, mm. as per usual. Um, 
But I mean, just a shout out here. I, I we touched on it earlier. Martin Landau is fucking amazing in this mm -hmm. film as Bella Lugosi. I'll be honest and say I don't think I've seen the um, 1930s um, uh, Dracula films that uh, that Bella Lugosi was in. Apparently, he doesn't look much like Bella Lugosi, but um, I thought he, he was an incredible performance of um, someone who sort of you know laments having made some pretty bad choices earlier in their yeah. career. Yeah, he's because he plays it so well, and the the junkie side of it is kind of heartbreaking when you kind of see like he's got getting makeup on, and you see the track lines on his arms, um, and him sitting in the car, and it's just a reflection in the rearview mirror. It's really subtly done. It's not a harrowing tale or anything until he gets put into rehab. And I don't know about you, but there's just this shot. You hear Bella screaming and screaming. Or you don't know it's Bella, but he's taken to this thing and the kind of camera goes down the corridor and it's dark. And the screaming just gets more and more and more as it gets closer. And the camera comes round and you see Bella in bed just freaking the fuck out. That scared the fuck out of me. It was really good and I was like I don't remember feeling that level of that was actually kind of old school horror reveal of the monster screaming in the basement of the castle or whatever and they did it for this very real moment and it was it just worked very well for me today yeah it was really nicely done uh sorry Fox Pixar Media is talking about airplane airplane has a scary poster art they see on every home video release. Um, I'm not sure if Fox Pixar Media is a spammer or not because I just don't see the relevance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They're talking about the. I recall the, the artwork. So, the if you listening to the podcast, Fox Pixar Media is um is talking to us through our our Twitch feed, and you can do the same. Yes. If you're yes, talking back to us, um, you can tune in. And, and ask us questions a bit like the um we had a visitor from um washington dc last week very early in the morning which was fun yeah. um but i and they're asking about the the artwork on the airplane post of the airplane the uh uh comedy for zuckerfield brothers yeah. comedy film from the 80s um which i think we had on VC vhs when i was a kid i recall the artwork with the um, the planes tied in a knot, but I don't know. I ever found it creepy. That is an interesting interpretation of the idea of two planes being tied in a knot as being creepy. There we uh, go. And there you go. That's it. There. Um, yes, in, in, in a certain point, of, from a certain point of view, that, that if you have a fear of flying, yeah, you don't want that to happen to you. <laughs> yeah, you, if that happens to you in your plane, you're fucked. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm told. I've seen <laughs> the fish would be the or, least of the problems. I've seen at least four episodes of Air Crash Investigation, and I think that was the problem in two of them. Um, <laughs> but I'm not sure what it has to do with Ed Wood, mm. which uh, we are busy loving on here. Mm. Um, incredible cast. Um, mm -hmm. see, I mean, I was um, my, my friend who visited and watched Ed Wood with me was a bit like Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, I watched two Sarah Jessica Parker films on the weekend, and the other one was called Girls Just Want to Have Fun um, for my other podcast, The Throwback. Um, but anyway, she actually had a, people forget, she had a moderately successful uh, movie career well before Sex and the City. 
Um, I, Where she was I, in classics like Flight of the Navigator. That, that is a crazy job. Hocus Pocus, um, Striking Distance with um, Bruce Willis, which is a fucking terrible movie, by the way. Uh, and I am severely tempted to make that our film for next week. Um, I had it on VHS. It was awful. One of those films you watch a trailer and you're like, hang on a second, there are super cool scenes that are in the trailer that aren't in the film. What the fuck? Um, but, yeah, she had a very successful career in um, in, in film. Uh, Jeffrey Jones, um, probably best known for his role in uh, what uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yep. Um I think he might have had some controversy as well, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. So not been in the let's just, just forget about him. Yeah. Um, one of the Arquettes. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, we were talking again on the weekend, my friend who was watching, is like, are there a couple more of them? And you're like, I think there are at least two other Arquettes. There's Rosanna, and I can't remember the other one, but they're like the Baldwins of actresses. There's... They are related to David Arquette as well, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, Bill Murray, who I mentioned earlier, who doesn't age and he's a replicant. He well, no, get... he, he was born like 42 years old. It's kind of like Hulk Hogan. You try and find a picture of him young, not, that ain't him. He was born 56 with a handlebar mustache. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very curious. You know, apparently, apparently, Chris Hemsworth's going to play Hulk Hogan. I think that's if it if they play it as kind of a comedy biography, I could see that working because Chris Chris Hemsworth is actually pretty good at comedy, and he's got the body to be Hulk Hogan. He bumpy. He does bump up well. Um, it's interesting. They're shooting just this week started shooting Thor: Love and Thunder in Australia. Up in Byron Bay, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but uh, the place to be right now is making films. They're actually shutting up some streets in the city. Mm. They're out in the city this weekend because they're shooting movies in the city. So, yeah. George, if you wouldn't mind getting on your bicycle and just riding around the city. and <laughs> Sorry, maybe, I've got to interrupt. <laughs> you can interrupt some film sets in this city for a change. I'm a professional interrupter. <laughs> I've done this in London. I've done this for Robert De Niro, damn it. This is nothing. <laughs> Do you know who uh, I am? Anyway, so I, I think this is um, a, a wonderful film. I love films about making films. Mm. I think that's one of my favourite genres is films about films. Um, and you, can, you can't help but feel the passion that Tim Burton has for this particular one. I think this is a very personal one for him. Yeah. Um, it's inspiring to people like us who are you know, um, potentially not as professional as everybody else, but have a lot of fun doing it, right? Yeah. And and in a way, is that maybe that's, that's there is the a lot of things you can take out of this film. Maybe yeah. one of the messages is if you're having fun doing your creative thing, mm -hmm. then that is enough in and of itself to justify that's doing it. Absolutely right. If any, if there's an audience, fantastic. If Don't you have fun doing it, matter. that's all the bonus. Yeah. It, it's all that matters is you. And in this instance, um, it almost became like a family. Yeah. Which is almost like a family of misfits, which is a very common refrain yeah. in Burton films. But all these goofy misfits, you know, Tor Johnson, um, Vampira, and, you know, his lady friends who were okay with his cross-dressing. Yeah. 
and yeah, he's, sort of, he's a colorblind cameraman. <laughs> I the, thinking about it that way, it's almost like this is Tim Burton kind of e- explaining why he does what he does now because he's got his troop of actors as well, and Edward found these people who accepted him, wanted to help him, and he wanted to help and became a troop of performers in the style of the old school traveling troop showman where they're not always the best performances some would come through that had more notoriety but others would come through town and it's like okay this is good for a giggle we're just laughing at you rather than at what you are doing but it it's kind of set a bit of a stage because you think of a lot of the big independent directors working they've got their troop of actors they use tim burton um chris nolan you're even getting it yeah tarantino james gunn all of those names they kind of pay a little bit of homage to ed wood because they're doing what they want to do and those projects are so often those kind of either sleeper hits cult classics or successes because let's face it everyone involved in those is far more talented than ed wood managed to gather around him but the the kind of the vibe and the ethos is still there i think it um i i love it it's mm. it, it's it's best work and it reminds me of why tim burden was such a good filmmaker for a long time and unfortunately i think that filmmaker mm-hmm. doesn't represent anymore um uh, it was a pleasure. I thank you for letting me watch my favourite Tim Burton film again. And you are welcome. But now it is your turn. Where are we going next? And striking this. You're going to hurt me, aren't you? <laughs> I, I, it's so, I mean, it's been a difficult choice. It was a bit like that time I chose Death Machine. There was nobody in it. It was anything else. <laughs> um, so there are uh, innumerable talented people involved in this project um and uh I, i've sort of narrowed it down and i'm i was super tempted to go with martin landau and mm. falling off by northwest Ooh. but come on it's titchcock hitchcock's been done to death yeah and instead i'm gonna follow bill murray okay and he's a fairly insignificant figure in the history he's of been film. in one or two movies nothing very interesting of interest but uh and of course for those who are long-term or other friends of mine who are generally the only people who listen to this shit, um <laughs> or who, who are long-term listeners might re- remember that groundhog day is actually probably my favorite film of all time mm-hmm. and today is groundhog day in the united states oh. So that is means I'm going to choose Lost in Translation. <laughs> Lost in Translation. Okay. I, I haven't seen this, I think, since it came out. Yeah. So this is a Sofia Coppola comedy, romantic comedy drama thing with Scarlett Hansen and Giovanni, Giovanni Ribisi. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure... If we end up on Godfather 3 after this, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> Don't give me ideas. I, I've got actually an interesting direction to go after this. Um, 
but yeah, I'm I'm glad because Lost in Translation, I remember really enjoying that. It was a great turn. Um, it was great performances by both Bill and Scarlett, and it was a very kind of genuine, honest performance from both of them, and just like a a moment in time. Um. It, it, it's interesting. I think this is going to be. I'm actually picking this for a similar reason that I picked the um, the Thirteenth Floor. Um, in it, I hadn't seen the Thirteenth Floor since it came out. Yeah. Um, twenty years ago, and I haven't seen this since it came out seven, sixteen, seventeen years ago. Um, and I guess the other interesting part, I, I'm very curious to to observe from a second viewing all these years later, um, is that I hadn't been to Japan when I saw yeah. this. But I'm kind of wondering how this will go now, having filtered through, having been there a couple of times. I'm by no means am I putting my hand up. I'm an expert in Japanese culture. <laughs> Just having a little bit more experience about how they, how things work over there. I wonder what that'll, what I'll make of that with a little bit of context now. Okay. But there's, just reading the first bit of trivia on IMDb for Lost in Translation. Sofia Coppola wasn't sure if Bill Murray was actually going to show up for the film. <laughs> that sounds... I think that's not unusual. Yeah, but Bill Murray seems to be one of those odd people that he, he's got a bit of a history of, um, like, gate-crashing weddings and stuff and wedding photos and just not turning up for projects. He's, he's a man who's doing his own thing and uh, he's having fun with it. I appreciate it. I think the official term in Hollywood is called difficult to work with. <laughs> but unfortunately for him, he's not a woman. So um, that doesn't get counted against him like it does for one of the um, – there's a story recently about uh, one of our show's favourite actresses, Catherine Heigl. Mm-hmm. She of the Wheel of Heigl. Mm-hmm. Yes, Legendary. Uh, she apparently got um, uh, labelled as difficult to work with. And that affected her career in a negative way. We are going to be talking about loss in translation. Yes. Um, I'm excited about that. And should we move on to our next semi-regular segment? Yeah. Episode four of WandaVision. <laughs> exactly. I didn't even tell him we didn't plan that. Um, <laughs> but it's like, hey, this is something we've watched. We actually are both watching. Um I, I shared a meme uh, over there. I don't know if you saw it on Facebook mm. of um, it, uh, someone uh, Thor grabbing Thanos around the head and mm. had let Thanos labeled as casual and impatient fans and Thanos oh, saying, yes. I don't like WandaVision. And then uh, Thor shoving a spoon into his mouth that said uh, WandaVision episode four and then all of a sudden a very happy expression. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm doing a very bad job of explaining a meme here. Oh, but it's very accurate. Because, because we, we'd sort of lamented the last couple of weeks that people out there are like, oh, it's boring, it's slow moving, yeah. I don't know what's going on. Why am I spending so much time on the, the you know, the, the uh, sitcom thing? And, like, I spent barely any time in the, in the you know, the life of his show, like two episodes on it, that's it, mm-hmm. two and a half. Um, and, okay, well, this episode's Marvel showing yet again they perfectly understand their audience. Mm-hmm. In the sense that they've perfectly understood that those morons out there who are like, it's boring, Uh 
are going to be getting a little bit uh, antsy by the end of the third episode, and mm-hmm. they've basically given them a giant helping spoonful of exposition. Yeah. And it was juicy. Oh, yes. Yes, it was. Um, this episode, um, what, what was the, the episode actually called? Um, oh, we interrupted this program. It's perfect because it actually showcases, again, more consequences of actions, not just we're getting that slowly but surely after episode three and the way Wanda kind of reacted to the um, the announcement of someone talking about her brother and Ultron and those having ramifications and she turning a bit, a bit freaky at the end. Now we have an episode outside of the show and it brings in someone from uh, Captain Marvel and it touches on the blip again. And this version of the blip, I was talking to a friend of the show, Paul, um, about the difference of the portrayal of the blip and people coming back between Spider-Man Far From Home and this, where this was a lot more played for drama and um, seriousness, where Spider-Man, it was kind of the silliness of people. It was played for laughs, really. Exactly. And I love that they brought this through. I love the way that they kind of reverse, uh, reverse dusted to come back. It made sense on how they were gone. Which is a bit smacking disappointing because in Spider-Man Homecoming, Mm. So far from home, mm. um, they just popped. Back yeah. Come on, guys. Pick a method. Yeah. But I think, as Paul mentioned in our conversation, one of them is more controlled by Fox at the or, uh, Sony, and one of them is entirely controlled by MCU. But we bring in with that and the ramifications and reactions of that as well as it's the best timeline connection for everything that happened in Captain Marvel that wasn't outer space-based. We had um, Maria Rambeau, who's Captain Marvel's best friend. She went on from that situation with Captain Marvel to be a founder of the organization S.W.O.R.D. And her daughter kind of followed her into that. And they reintroduce um, uh, Randall Park's Jimmy Woo, who is in um, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And we also get Kat Dennings come oh, back. Oh, what a joy that it. was. I am such so a huge Kat Dennings fan. Like, and you just don't see her in stuff anymore. Like, mm-hmm. she did that Broke Girl show, which was fucking mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I was... And I really felt she was one of the strongest parts of the first two, four movies. Yep. She wasn't really required in the third one, which was a shame, but Mm. made sense. And it was such a strong movie on its own. But I was so disappointed that Darcy wasn't getting a run when she did so much heavy, Kat did so much heavy lifting in the comedy stakes in the first two, and Dark World, which wasn't the strongest Marvel film. No. She kind of held. She really, she really held her own. So I was yeah. so excited to see her pop back. And mm-hmm. she, it, what I think I, I liked about Mister, sorry to cut you off, uh, oh, is good. that they all fit perfectly. 
Yes. It all felt organic. It made sense. And so you're covering two bases here. You're getting fan service. Mm -hmm. So our American friend who, um, who, who joined us last week was like, I'm not really sure. I haven't seen a lot of the MCU films. Um, uh, you know, for people who have, we're going to go, ah, oh, I remember that person. And, but it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel fake. Um, it, it, and just to be clear with Fox Pixar Media, you can actually find the airplane DVD menu walkthrough on YouTube. So <laughs> I strongly recommend there is a reversing record in the actual uh, audio track of the DVD menu. Strongly recommend checking it out. Why would anybody put the DVD walkthrough on YouTube unless it was you and you're trying to drive up views? Uh, <laughs> in which case, there are only 1,300 views, so that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed seeing Cat back and seeing uh, Agent, uh, I forget his character's name. But, uh, um, Jimmy Woo. Jimmy Woo. Yeah. Back, it made perfect sense. And, like, to have a reminder of um, Captain Marvel mm -hmm. was actually incredibly welcome, considering I didn't yeah. like that film at yeah, all. agreed. Um, I think that that's also a precursor to some of the stuff that is apparently going to be coming in to this new phase of the movies with the, um, the secret war kind of element and just bringing a little bit more of that into it. But I want to mention another meme. You talked about everyone spoon feeding Thanos and now they enjoy it. The idea of an MCU based x-files style show with jimmy woo and darcy lewis i am all for that writes itself yes those two are awesome they had cool chemistry in the scenes together they know these characters they know how their characters react to the shit that goes on in the mcu and it's human it's real it's funny it they have these moments of genuine connection as well it kind of ticks all the boxes. Go for it. I'm okay for another spin-off if it's them. <laughs> um, and I like to just give myself a put the back. Uh, so after seeing Endgame, uh, I said I would like to see a TV show that was all about the blip. Um, uh, and I am very glad. This isn't exactly it, but um, uh, I am. Um, I'm very glad that they've tried to actually treat it in a serious manner. I didn't really have a problem. It fit the Spider-Man film to be played for laughs, but mm -hmm. I, I was really excited to see them use it in a creative way mm -hmm. that, that really fit the property this time of being that. Uh, spoilers. Was it the start of the episode? Yes, yeah, the start. So uh, Maria wakes up in a, in a hospital room that had been occupied by her mother four years ago. Yeah. Only to find her mother's not there anymore, and the hotel is full of people who have blipped mm -hmm. back in. We don't know what the fuck's going on. And I would just like to say, again, that's a really nice choice of, of addition of a show. Uh -huh. Still think a show about that would be really, really great. And maybe you could tie the two together. Yeah. Uh, but with Jimmy Woo, extra, you know, the blip files or something, you know, like. It It kind of, the, the promise of the, um, the little extra bits that you had with Agent Coulson before they did Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., those little bits where they're investigating these superhuman, supernatural, spacer-natural things, that's a show that could do it. 
and you don't if you do use these two characters you don't have the stigma of agents of shield itself good or bad that's a lot of content to go through and this is just fresh start new thing in line with the new new phase of the movies as well and it's gonna get fucking weird ladies and gentlemen in the movies you've got all of the the multiverse stuff coming in my theory is potentially by the end of WandaVision, if it is just one series, they are positioning um, Wanda to possibly be the reason that reality changes and the mutants come into the MCU. But uh, today I it's read an article that said this is how they're going to introduce the Fantastic Four. I can believe that because the Fantastic Four are actually scientists and bringing them in to explain some of this. Yeah. There's also a rumor that Evan Peters is going to be doing a cameo as Quicksilver, who is the brother of Wanda. And in the when Ultron came out, there was Days of Future Past, which premiered the Fox version of Quicksilver, and Ultron had the MCU version of Quicksilver. One of them died, one of them was very successful, with audiences at least. Uh, so, I'm really not paying a great deal of attention to these stories that go, oh, well, it's the Fantastic Four, because apparently also this, this show links into Doctor Strange and the uh, Multiverse of Madness um, has been widely reported as well. Mm-hmm. I'm just enjoying sitting back, enjoying yeah. it. Interestingly, this episode actually is not the first episode you're talking about was the first episode um, we interrupt this program. The uh, this episode is called "Filmed in Front of a Live Audience." Uh, no, 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 you tell no. us. Oh, you're wrong. It um, it, it kind of screwed up. Sorry, David. Um, this um has the highest rating of any of the episodes so far. Mm-hmm. The nine point one was actually reversed. The money. Sorry. Um, whereas the first episode has the worst, which is lame. Um, but it's so we got seven point five, seven point nine. 8.3, 9.1. Um, so you can tell where the casuals enjoy yeah. uh, their contact the content the most. They like that big spoonful of exposition explaining yeah. what the fuck's going on. Yeah. It, uh, I can't wait for it. And what do you think about there's been a lot of questioning around, you know, the week-by-week week drop. And you had something interesting to say mm. on my Facebook about that. And unfortunately, most of the people who listen to this don't have access to my Facebook to see what you wrote. Simply put, there aren't really... Because of COVID, forcing every show to now drop old school week after week, where we were in a position where whole seasons were being dumped, we're getting a week to talk about the show with people. It's that water cooler show, which we haven't really had since kind of the end of Game of Thrones. Um, that was the last show where people were going, oh, what's going to happen next? And people were building theories and getting ideas. You don't get that when a whole season is dumped. So I think that COVID and then forced, kind of forced to drop week by week to cover the time period in in our world of, you know, how long it's going to be before they can actually drop something else new. It's really serving this very, very well. And especially for a show that is especially the first three episodes where they're really pushing something different, something unusual, something that the established MCU fans don't necessarily like. 
it gave people a chance to rewatch it and kind of go, oh, I'm seeing these little um, teasers and these little bits that, oh, I wonder if that means anything. Oh, is this something to do with Strucker? Is this actually all an illusion that was in Wanda's head while, while she was still being controlled by Von Strucker before Ultron? And it's, oh, and people coming up with all sorts of stuff builds that fan theory around it and then the next week's episode comes through and suddenly you're getting these new bits of evidence it's it's great to be able to talk about it and i've been doing it with people in the shop um online everyone's got their their idea it's great i don't know enough about it to have a theory i just know it's great Mm. um though i must say i was a smidgen disappointed Mm. Not disappointed is a strong word. I was kind of enjoying being a smarmy, superior asshole, uh, looking <laughs> looking down and all the fucking. Oh, it's becoming casual. popular now. I don't like it anymore. <laughs> it was already popular. It's like with a smarmy asshole going, "It's boring. I don't get it." I'm like, I understand something for a change. I understood that reference, um, you know. And at this time, it's like I just kind of felt like they just went straight. But it did really very much go back to the masses and go, mm-hmm. okay. You've put up with three episodes of things that make mm. you think. Here's a bunch of stuff that you don't have to think about. Yeah. Um, other than remembering where you saw people. Um, you know, it's like yeah. I was my, my the friend I watched it with was like, is Rambo a reference to Rambo? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Different um, spelling. I do have the uh the encyclopedia of Marvel over on my bookcase, but I really couldn't be bothered getting it out and looking it up. Yeah. Um but it is a I think it's because it's interesting that this is the best part of Captain Marvel and Captain mm. Marvel wasn't in it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We've we've talked about our Captain Marvel issues. It's a long one, but we'll see how they go next time. Um, yeah. uh, what else is going on this week apart from WandaVision and Ed Wood? For me, nothing actually. Um, I have decided to go back and play Final Fantasy IX. And it's the old school kind of third person, you know, uh, isotropic uh, kind of look. And I'm just put on all of the cheats, the 9,999 damage, the super speed, um, the the battle assist. So everyone has got all their their super um, trance breaks and stuff. And it's just fun just going through it and just wrecking. That is literally all that I've done. I haven't had time for anything else because last night I finally um, had a D&D session where the guys that I'm DMing for had encountered the big bad of this particular part of the campaign and it was a proto-lich, uh, a unrealized full lich, which is a very, very powerful, dangerous enemy, way more dangerous than they were ready for. I thought the proto-lich would be a challenge and get close to some deaths. Unfortunately, I am now officially a murderer. I killed one of the party with a disintegration rate. And now, yeah, yeah, they, they, they literally just disappeared from existence. And the only way that they were able to get them back was either with a wish or a true restoration, which are way above their ability things. So we had a very, very quiet period after that happened. Everyone was like, oh, fuck. 
they're actually dead. Um, we can't bring them back. Fuck. And now I'm apologizing to that player so many times, and he keeps on mocking me. So, like, how does it feel to be a killer? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Nothing nothing else I can really do. I've never about. played a Final Fantasy game. Um, mm. Would you, you recommend never. them to people unless you are a GRPG fan? No. Absolutely not. It's the kind of game that you probably wouldn't like in particular, just the, especially the older style there because they're sort of like timer-based actions and things. There's a little bit of strategy to it, but the controls are a pain. They're not not well designed. Um, and the JRPG plays very different to a Western RPG like Skyrim or Witcher or cyberpunk those kinds of things so i don't think you'd like them it's kind of like the worst examples of tv shows where people say oh get through the first couple of seasons of agents of shield and it gets good you have to go all right get through the first 20 hours of the game and it gets good is that kind of thing yeah well i've actually had two discoveries this week two discoveries yeah. Which are uh, oldest oldest TV shows, which I'll cover briefly, and a new movie. It was a new Netflix exclusive that I have watched uh, yesterday and today, mm. which I think is worthy of mention. Okay. Uh, and the first one, and um, again, I, I had a, a guest on the weekend who put me on to a who is from New Zealand. Yeah. We won't hold that against her. Yeah. Um, you can't help where you're born. Um, and you know they put me onto a TV show called Outrageous Fortune, oh, which is a Kiwi TV show. And shocking! I'm going to shock you now. You'll be shocked at the shocking thing I'm going about to shock you with. It's on Tubi and it's good. But Tubi doesn't have good. I know. I was confused too. Hmm. Um, now <laughs> it's on Tubi. Uh, for free, and you're gonna watch shitty ads about like buying yachts and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> would <laughs> I be watching outrageous fortune on Tubi if I could shit. fucking afford a yacht? <laughs> would you be so constructive with my time? <laughs> um, anyway, there, there was genuinely an ad for yachts. Um, anyway, it's notable for probably two one big reason and one smaller reason. The okay. big reason that's notable is that one of the stars is Anthony Starr. Probably better known for playing Homelander in yeah. Amazon Prime's The Boys. I had no idea he was a Kiwi. No, me neither. He hides his accent well. He does a fantastic American accent. So there's um, some irony in the fact that he's sort of the all-American boy. He's played by uh, a New Zealander. And um, so Outrageous Fortune is a TV show. When career criminal Wolfgang West gets put away for four years, his wife Cheryl decides it's time for her family to go straight. Can the mm -hmm. West change the habits of a lifetime? Uh, the slightly lesser reason it's notable is a couple of the stars in the show are probably very, very familiar to Australian audiences. One being Robin Malcolm. Uh, I um, don't believe you would know necessarily who she was, but she's in. She was in. She was Morwen in Lord of the Rings. Um, but she's been in all manner of um, Australian and Kiwi TV shows for a very long time. Probably okay. most notably Upper Middle Bogan, 
which was a show I quite liked. It was on the ABC in Australia. Um, and ironically, we actually watched an episode of Upper Middle Bogan after watching Outrageous Fortune. They okay. are very, very similar. Okay. Very similar. Except the creators of uh, Outrageous Fortune do not get a writing credit on uh, Upper Middle Bogan, which is interesting. Okay. Um, and the other one being Grant Bowler or Bowler. Uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Grant Bowler is a... Um, an actor who's done a lot of work in Australia. Uh -huh. So uh, he was in, well, and, and overseas as well, he was in True Blood. He was in Ugly Betty. He was in um, Lost. Okay. Um, some of his local stuff would include All Saints, Always Greener, Something in the Air, um, and Blue Healers, notably, for a couple of years. If you, you would, Blue Healers, well before your time in this country. I don't know, <laughs> I assume it didn't make the, um, I assume it didn't make the trip up north like... I um, don't think so. Uh, like, not quite like Home and Away or Neighbours. It was a police yeah. procedural show, a really crappy one. Okay. But so he's been on Australian TV for a very long time, but he's also, I was shocked to discover, a Kiwi. Um, it is actually quite a nice show, and it's really fun to see Homelander with a mullet. <laughs> Anyone with a mullet. So, I mean, it's free. It's on Tubi. You just have to watch some shitty ads. Um, and look, I mean, would I recommend it? I'm kind of planning on going back at some point and checking out some more. It was, it was all right. And honestly, I mean, you've been here 10 years now. I have. Um, I've been here for 43 years. I can't remember ever seeing a Kiwi TV show on TV in Australia before. Um, other than Flight of the Concords? Flight of the Concords and... Was Shortland Street a Kiwi product? Not familiar with Shortland Street. <gasps> Shortland Street was my jam. In 1992? Yeah. Um, but uh, I, it, it, at the very least, it's an exceedingly rare occurrence. For some reason, it's mm. interesting um, hanging out with um, someone who is a, a Kiwi. Mm. Um, and you sort of realize it is a New Zealand show, by the way. Uh, yeah. on TV here, I didn't ever heard of it. Um, it, it looks like a soap opera, right? Yeah, but it's interesting. Like, so, um, we the only time we got Kiwi music over here was when we were about to claim them as our own, okay? So, you know, crowded house, that sort of thing. You know, <laughs> two of the three of them were for Kiwi, so. Um, you know, we, 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 you know, the drummer was Australian, so they might as well be Australian. Um, that sort of thing. <laughs> limited musical career. Australia has got a weird way of claiming and, you know, shunning people. It's like, oh, Russell Crowe. Yep, he's definitely one. No, he's not. Um, <laughs> he's been denied citizenship multiple times. <laughs> and then true. Mel Gibson. Miss, Miss Foxy B has just pointed out that Carl Urban is also Australian. Um, that's interesting to know. Um, uh, he's successful, so he's also Australian. Um, <laughs> Sam Neill, also Australian. Uh, Peter Jackson, Australian. Uh, you know, Jacinda Ardern, Australian. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's a veritable, you know, wall-to-wall -wall Aussies at the moment in Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> Weta, Australian. Yeah. Um, it's, so anyway, it's, it was an interesting experience because 
they are our near neighbours, and I can only imagine that they are Taika Waititi, also Australian. Um, I can only he's working in Australia right now, which makes him Australian. Um, I can only imagine that that makes um, that Kiwis are probably bombarded with Australian television to a degree, uh, and Australian rock and roll and Australian music. Um, but it doesn't seem to come back the other way terribly often. So yeah. that was an interesting experience for me. And it has an 8.3, by the way, in IMDb, Outrageous Fortune. So um, it, it's, look, I mean, if you're going. on, it, it, I think it, mm, six seasons. I don't okay. think it is. I think right. it stopped a while ago now. Um, oh, yeah. And Miss Foxy B says she is also a Kiwi. Um I don't know how successful you are, so we can't quite grant you Australian citizenship yet, but we'll think about it. <laughs> um, I always used to say, you know, New Zealand is just East New South Wales. I just haven't figured it out yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, I wish, I really wish they were. Uh, maybe we'd elect a decent government for a change. But um, look, if you've got Tubi, Tubi's free. Uh, there is a lot of Drek on there, um, and George can attest to that. He had to watch Titanic 2 once. Yeah. Um, it, but, you know, there are the odd little weird gem, like Outrageous Fortune. They've got know. some bizarre, super old movies on there that's like, okay, I've heard people in movies reference this movie as something that their grandfather grew up with. It's like, okay, sure, I've got nothing better to do. I'll a lot of these weird this. knockoffs of popular movies, like yeah. Going to America. Yeah, it's like the ultimate bargain bin di direct to video location now i i wonder direct. if there's someone at Tubi headquarters that's like yes um okay so what's coming out captain marvel right we need to find a shitty captain marvel. yes <laughs> um it's uh, anyway that's that's also it's um sorry that was um uh, outrageous fortune outrageous fortune yes the other show i caught this week which is um Similarly highly rated uh, and from a, a Commonwealth country is a show called Letterkenny. Now, I've never heard of Letterkenny before. Again, I was put onto it by, uh, by a friend who recommended it and said it could be good. This is a Canadian TV show. I think I've seen some uh, clips on YouTube and stuff of this. I, I started out some clips on YouTube. It is on SBS On Demand in Australia for free again. So um, worth checking out. So quick-witted, fast-paced, snappy comedy about rural folk getting by in a small town. It is set in the town of Letterkenny, which is in rural Canada. Our main uh, sort of our main cast are Wayne, Daryl, and Katie, uh, along with Squirrely Dan, which is the best name for a character ever. Um, and. Um, Wayne, uh, I guess, would be our protagonist. He lives with his sister, Katie, uh, and he works with his best friend, Daryl. They work a produce stand at the front of his farm. And it is exceedingly, painfully dry uh, observational okay. comedy. It's a sitcom. It is, it's not sketch comedy, for example. So, for example, in the last, I think we watched three episodes on a weekend. In the third episode, they create a, a website called, instead of Facebook, they created Fartbook, where you <laughs> upload your farts to the internet. Uh, and, okay, I, for people who are like, hey, what the fuck's going on? You don't like fart jokes. No, I don't. But this is quite a, an, 
a little bit different. It's a little bit of a clever fart joke. Um, and it's sort of, it's, it's really honestly ripping, no pun intended, on on uh, the social network. Okay. Um, and, you know, it, it's very strong. Lots of references to that film. Um, or there's an episode where uh, the character of Wayne at one point in time was considered the toughest guy in Letterkenny, uh, but he decided to stop fighting for a period of years uh, to appease his then-girlfriend, who'd now broken up with him. He decides to start fighting again, so he has to fight a series of fights against the the uh, people claiming the title of the toughest guy in Letterkenny. In, in, you know, um, it's... I'm not doing it justice, but it is disgustingly dry, and which is exactly my kind of comedy. Mike, very British, um, rather than very American. It's really played all of it and played with a very, very straight bat. Okay. Um, but is 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 very, very, very amusing at the same time. Every it's anthology, so there's no real arc for episode. Each episode has a a, a different sort of a different storyline, so it's not. You can just dip, it, dip in and dip out. You don't have to worry too much about about having to follow some overarching, you know, uh, story. Okay. And it's really fucking good. Uh, none of no one in it. I've never seen anybody in this in anything else. Jared um, Kiso's face is familiar. He was in Elysium. Yep. He was also in Godzilla. Yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, you might you might look at this and go, oh, um, someone. You, you might look at this and you might have a specific memory mm. of having seen one of these people in something else. Uh, I, you know, I imagine there's a lot of films made in Canada these days, so I imagine yeah. these guys had done some TV and stuff um, over that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no one famous in it. There's no breakout star. There's no yeah, no Andy Samberg or anything of that nature. Been been Again, didn't get a whole lot of Canadian television here in Australia. We got a little bit of Canadian television back when I was a um, a kid. We used to get Degrassi uh, and stuff like yeah. that. But um, again, it's not really something you see a whole lot of in Australia is Canadian television. And yeah. unfortunately, this has been banished to to SBS on demand. I don't know if it made it to free to air, um, but it's seriously, seriously funny. So if you like sharp, dry comedy. Um, then I think you, this would be well worth a, a a look as something that you might find very amusing. And again, Ina Kamajan, who doesn't like comedy, he doesn't laugh at anything and doesn't like anything. But <laughs> we are. There you go. The last thing I'd like to talk about yeah. um, is the Netflix exclusive movie, The Dig. Oh, I've seen this one being advertised. So this is uh, directed by an Australian, Simon Stone, who has directed stuff I've never heard of. He directed something called The Daughter, which I didn't see, but on the strength of a dig, I might check out. Um, probably notably, the cast stars Carrie Mulligan, Ray Fiennes, and Louis James are probably the big names you'll recognise in here. Um, and essentially, the storyline. An archaeologist embarks on a historically important excavation of Sutton Hoo in 1938. It is in, in your homemade. What is it like? Is it cool? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's... I would imagine that they probably... It probably looks better, kind of, in the movie because it, they get to 
recreate it because Sutton Hoo was found and flooded and the war happened and lots of shit went down. So you probably get a very romanticized look at what Sutton Hoo now looks like. Potentially. Um, I but it's an interesting find, site. I did find myself watching a 30-minute documentary on YouTube after this about what the hell Sutton Hoo was about. Um, <laughs> I had seen uh, – the name sounded very familiar, but I mm. couldn't quite place why I knew what Sutton Hoo was. So Sutton Hoo was a an excavation site in England mm -hmm. uh, where they found some incredibly valuable and – unique historical artifacts from the anglo-saxon period mm -hmm. one of it as he, as george noted it was unearthed literally just before the second world war which made it an interesting time to be unearthing you know uh, historical treasures probably not exactly a priority in the uk at the time they had that whole hitler thing going on yeah, blackouts um, uh, so, what is the film about? The film stars Ray Fiennes as Basil Brown. Basil Brown is hired by a landowner, played by Carrie Mulligan, playing Edith Pretty. She has some mounds on her land, which she suspects um, how some sort of historical artifacts. Basil Brown is works for the Ipswich Museum and is basically a sort of archaeologist, I guess is the way the film puts it. Mm -hmm. uh, an untrained archaeologist, shall we say. He calls himself an excavator, and he's hired to excavate these mounds to find out whether or not there's anything in them. Mm. And in doing so, uncovers possibly the greatest historical treasure that's ever been unearthed in England, mm -hmm. which is kind of saying something. Um, there is a, an Anglo-Saxon uh, funeral boat and a treasure hoard or a funerary box, I can't remember exactly what they call it, but a, 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 a truly priceless treasure is unearthed. Um, in amongst all this, he is sort of, we, we sort of meet um, a cast of characters, uh, including uh, Edith Pretty's uh, cousin, who is um, played by Danny Webb, I think, uh, as John, um, and we have the, we have a, it's, a, it's a very typical sort of, it's not a, it's a very typical sort of movie, so it's, he is the, um, we have um, Ray Fiennes' Battle Brown as sort of the, the unorthodox yet effective, you know, uh, self-taught archaeologist. And then we have the, the snooty sort of upper class, um, you yeah, guys from the, the British Museum come in and kick him off the job and not let him, you know, continue the work that he started and that sort of thing. Um, and they're played as very unpleasant folks. Right. Um in between all that, we have Lily James come in with her husband who works at the British Museum, uh, and she's also, I think, an archaeologist, but she, in the process of unearthing this, she discovers things about her life that maybe... I try not to spoil it. Mm. Um, I don't like Carrie Mulligan, usually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I never didn't enjoy her in um, Doctor Who. I didn't enjoy her forte into Hollywood with around about 10 years ago and like never let me go in education. I think she was in wall street too. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I know and she, I know she's come out and had a, had a go at like producers recently and sort of said they told her she couldn't make it cause she wasn't hot enough. Um, I just thought she was annoying. Um, but she's really quite good in this. Mm -hmm. 
she, she's playing a sort of a different sort of character to her normal sort of thing in Edith Pretty. Okay. Uh, Ray Fiennes is out fucking standing in this film. Um, I saw in the trailer, he's only a Kennedy Award nominated. I can't believe that he hasn't won one at this point. He's been nominated twice. Yeah. For Schindler's List and The English Patient. I don't think he's going to get one at this stage. Mm. Um, but uh, I want, who do you reckon he lost to for Schindler's List? What year was Schindler's List? 1994. 94, yeah. What other movies are 94? Tom, Tom Hanks for Philadelphia. Yeah. It's a good performance. Yeah. But it's not a great performance. And yeah. uh, Lee Neeson, sorry, um, Rafe should have definitely have, sorry, won that for, for Schindler's List. Actually, I'm telling lies. So Liam Neeson lost to Tom Hanks to Best Actor. He lost. To Tommy Lee Jones for the Fugitive. Nah. Um, okay. So it's um, yeah, it's sort of interesting. At the time, it made sense, but you know, thirty years later, you're like, man, yeah. Um, <laughs> he was he's so good in this. Ray Fiennes is an actor with incredible range. Mm-hmm. When you compare him to say, as he plays um, Gert, the the commandant in. Schindler's List, like complete sociopath, mm-hmm. incredibly brutal and just evil. Yeah, and he is without doubt incredible in that. He is perfect in that movie. To compare it to say in Bruges, he plays oh. a gangster role, which yeah. is very against type for him. Mm-hmm. He plays that Cockney gangster, I and love again, that film. he's incredible in that film mm-hmm. and in a great film with great performances. He's as good as anybody in it. And this, he plays a softly spoken, a humble um, person who doesn't really enjoy being the centre of attention necessarily. Who, it's a completely different character again um, for for what he's used to. Um, and I really enjoyed his performance. Very understated performance. Well, anyone who's born in Suffolk is usually fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah, and as long as the town is in the theme park. <laughs> Ipswich Town is not a theme park, yeah. <laughs> I've never been there, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, you don't. And I said, Carrie Mulligan is, mm. is really solid in this. So Edith Pretty was the landowner mm-hmm. in which the, the mounds, I guess the that the, um, the, the great historical treasure was on. And in the end, was actually awarded ownership of the treasure that was found. Um, I understand British law in this space is very complicated. Mm-hmm. And, it, like, if you have land and someone finds this incredible treasure on it, they can just, the, the government can just go, national treasure, yoink. Yeah. Like, um, I remember um, growing up as a kid, because where am I? house was it was literally across the road from a a cow field where there was a known roman settlement the farmer who owned it had got it um initially just surveyed and we found that there were like roman roads bits of war and so he never did anything but put cows on it in summer and horses in winter and because of that knowledge all of the houses surrounding this huge field they weren't allowed to dig deeper than a certain amount and if you found anything it was the government's 
And so people would so often while they're gardening, so like find little coins or pots and things like that. And you just wouldn't tell anyone, <laughs> but for any kind of, um, major works, my God, the amount of red tape and work permits and protests by the long Melford society. It was, it was weird. It's a weird, weird thing, but fascinating. It is. It's interesting in the sense because we live in a country where the odds on digging something up are, but it's incredibly valuable, yeah. like literally valuable is, 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 is very low. I mean, obviously in the city in Melbourne, if you dig up particular sites in the CBD, like they have recently for the, the new tunnels they're building for the trains, mm. you generally need to get a, an archaeologist team in to check out what's underneath, what if the building was there. Um, oh, that's something from 1914. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, really, like the 1850s, right? Like um, archaeology is, is is not doesn't stand still. Um, but it's not exactly stuff from like the year 600, right? I mean, yeah. the odds I'm finding, not to say there weren't inhabitants here in the AD 600, there absolutely were, but the odds of finding anything they left behind are pretty slim. They're not they weren't crafting you know, funerary boats and gold helmets and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, you know, while certainly their archaeology has merit, it doesn't tend to last that long because it was made out of stuff that, you know, kind of degrades. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's not a it's not the same thing. But, but interestingly, in this instance, the, the landowner, Edith Pretty, was awarded ownership of the entire treasure, mm. which I understand is potentially a little bit rare. But she gifted it all to the British Museum. Um, which is in, in, insanely uh, generous thing to do. She could have got a lot of monies. Um, look, I'm not going to say, uh, the other person I sort of mentioned earlier was Lily James. Uh, if you are a long-term listener, you might remember Lily James from conversations we've had in the past about things like um, Baby Driver. Yes. Um, I think she was issues in Baby Driver with the uh, Edgar Wright film which I think we both very much enjoyed. Um, she was also in a film that I saw uh, under sufferance called Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, um, which <laughs> sucked deadly out. But she was good in it. So I'm a big fan of Lily James. Um, so she plays a, what do you call it, sort of a, a put-upon wife, a wife who's in an unhappy marriage. She finds something interesting. In the, uh, in the countryside. So she finds her own treasure in Suttonwood, um, but a different kind of treasure. Sutton I didn't find her arc particularly believable in this, and I felt kind of that like hers, despite the fact she's a very fine actress, I felt like her arc was kind of tacked on yeah. uh, to a degree. Maybe because it was in the book, I don't know, but it didn't work for me. She's going to play Pamela Anderson, interestingly. Really? They're making a TV miniseries called Pam and Tommy. Okay. Um, and she's going to play Pamela Anderson, which um, I'm fascinated to see that. That's Yeah, that's an interesting casting. Yeah, she's, she's a pretty, it's an incredibly beautiful young woman um, and a fine actress. But I, she Sebastian like Stan as Tommy Lee. Okay. Yeah. And Seth okay. Rogen in there. I was going to say, I sure is. I saw his name around. I'm like, 
I sure hope he's not going <laughs> to play Tommy Lee because he doesn't look much like Tommy Lee. It could end up just being like um, a TV show version of like that movie from oh, must have been the early two thousands, Churchill, the Hollywood years. What, do you remember that? Did you ever? See I never that? saw that one. It was uh, had Christian Slater in it. Um, Churchill, the Hollywood years. Um, yeah, it was weird. It's just Christian Slater was playing an American, Winston Churchill, and it's like this gun-toting, weird. It was a, I think it was a result of I think U five seven one, some one of those war movies that decided to just change history because it was more dramatic for the screen. They kind of just went, all right, let's do that about a whole film and a very famous person in a very famous war. <laughs> and it's not good. <laughs> it, it, well, look, you know, uh, Seth Rogen's involvement, it tends to indicate it could be worth a laugh. And um, I remember the Pammy and Tommy thing. It's, it's, it's a bit depressing when stuff that happened that feels like it was five years ago. Yeah. And you realize it was 25 years ago and it's now fodder for TV movies. Yeah. Um, it's depressing. Yeah. The big one. The Digging is entertaining. It is a classically British film. It's very, a, the, the impending war is a character in of itself. You've got the uh, impending, you know, the establishment imposing itself over the little man um, is um, is there as well. Uh, and, you know, obviously the, the snooty guy who works at a British museum is beautifully cast as a snooty looking guy who you go, ah, fuck that guy. I don't like that guy um uh, he's he's really well cast he play a guy named ken stott um plays the ken role stott is good actor as he uh he was in the hobbit films yes, he was. um he's uh he's passed as the snooty guy from the british museum and he's beautifully cast um are you familiar with ben chaplin yes yes His name sounds very familiar to me he also plays one of these snooty uptight stuffed shirt types from the british museum um whose wife leaves him i couldn't place why i knew his name but um he's been around in a few things um i know him because he was in this i think it only ran for three seasons overall but i think he was only in season one and two maybe it was a comic sitcom called game on and it was actually pretty good for for its time and it didn't stick around um but yeah ben ben chaplin has he was in uh the others with um nicole kidman and i haven't ever seen that he was in birthday girl that was one of his big movies for some reason his name sounded very familiar to me but um i don't think i've seen anything he's in him but uh so maybe i'm just imagining things if you've not um, seen birthday girl check it out because it is really good actually Birthday girl. Yeah. Um, but anyway, look, it's on Netflix. If you have Netflix mm -hmm. and you're looking for something to ignore, um, I would I would strongly recommend the dig. Actually, no, I'm being facetious. It was kind of interesting. I mean, if nothing else, for a history nerd like me uh, who remembered while I was watching it that once upon a time I wanted to be an archaeologist, um, uh, then I suddenly uh, decided. I didn't want to be an archaeologist once I realized that Indiana Jones was not an accurate portrayal of the life of an archaeologist. Yeah, but um, I kept that 
that theory alive in something. Yeah, I can be that that kind of archaeologist. Yeah. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> sure, sure, why not? <laughs> I think those people are called grave robbers. Um, that was a misunderstanding. Um, but uh, I, I liked for Dick quite a bit. It's if nothing else, purely for um, Ray Fiennes' performance, which is, you know, I had to stop a couple of times and go, is at the start and go, is that Ray Fiennes? It looks like, oh my God, it is Ray Fiennes and he's playing a very, very different type of character that we've seen him play before, which, as I sort of said earlier, really reminds us what incredible range and what an incredible actor he is. Um, and we're very lucky to have him. And I, I wish I saw more Rafe around these days, frankly. Mm. As a note on Ben Chaplin, I just saw he's actually going to be appearing in um, Joss Whedon's Return to TV, The Nevers, which is an epic tale following a gang of Victorian women who find themselves with unusual abilities, relentless enemies, and a mission that might change the world. It could be interesting. It's coming out on HBO at some point later. This I, year, um... apparently. Yeah, there's a man who's had his own troubles. It's Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to somebody just recently about Age of Ultron because it came up in WandaVision mm. and they couldn't remember seeing it. I'm kind of like, it's the forgotten Avengers film. Yeah, It's the Avengers film we don't talk about. Yeah. Um, it's the Avengers film that's kind of so loaded down with transition mm-hmm. and, like, like kickoff points. It kicks off Ragnarok. It kicks off... Uh, the entrance of mutants into the MCU, it kicks off Civil War. It's it's just so busy with stuff and, like, you know, um, entry points to future films. It yeah. kind of doesn't actually ever end up being its own thing. Um, and Joss had done such a good job with the first Avengers film. Mm. Uh, he kind of dropped the ball with that one. It's... It was always going to be a tough one to outdo what he did with Avengers. And I think the amount of shit that they tried to get that movie to do just was just broke his back. It really did. Um, I'm actually going to go back and watch it again now. I haven't seen it since it came out. Mm. Um, maybe I'll remember to at some point. Uh, I don't have Disney Plus, so that doesn't make it quite so easy. But then how are you watching WandaVision? Ah, oh, you're not doing a legal a, thing. A friend has a um, has a uh, membership or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of episode ninety-nine of Armchair Producers. Hi, oh, bye, hi, Richard. <laughs> you joined in at the end. Probably the best pipe to join us. Um, but don't forget, Richard, that you can um, donate to us on Twitch if you really want to. Um, otherwise, we will be back next week, same time, same place, hopefully with a slightly better setup, but I'm not hopeful. Um, we talked about Ed Wood. We're going to follow Bill Murray to Lost in Translation. We had our review of episode four of WandaVision. Travis talked about Outrageous Fortune. Letter Kenny and the Dig, and I just mumbled. So and and we had a lot of references to uh, airplane films. <laughs> yeah, airplane in the chat. Um, uh, I, I don't know who you are, but your trolling has been moi. 
<laughs> it's been well, perfect. Yeah. I, I don't know who you are, but um, I will find you and I will buy you a beer at some point for that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's choice. And Miss Foxy, that is a good point. We will put links to like trailers and stuff in the uh, in the chat as well. So I think she's also we're potentially uh, talking about links to the Facebook page uh, next time in the chat. Oh yeah. yeah. So um, uh, yeah. so anybody who wants to troll us on Facebook can do so in a way which we read on a regular basis. Our phone yeah. notifications. If you're you want to troll us about a an eighties um, spoof film, then you know that is the place to do it. Facebook.com slash Frybrain Productions, twitch.tv slash uh, The Fried Brain, and youtube.com slash Armchair Producers, or youtube.com slash Frybrain Productions. Thank you very much, folks. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. We are a weekly podcast every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And if you'd like to follow along live, please go to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain, where you can actually also donate to us, as well as watching us live on youtube.com slash Productions or facebook.com slash Productions. Thank you, and see you next time. Bye-bye.